Good morning. Please be seated. It's good to see all of you here this Sunday morning. Welcome to Woven Covenant Church. We started a new series last Sunday, and for those of you who missed it, you'll get the benefit of a brief recap. Um, we started a series called Hashtag Daniel Plan. And the Daniel Plan is all about um, not just the spiritual health, but also a physical health. There was a time in my life where I thought it was just about spirituality, spirituality, until I found out that it was more than that. I discovered burnout. I discovered there was a physical dimension. I discovered that if I had a stomach ache or if I had a headache, that it was all in many ways interconnected to my faith as well. So what I'm talking about through this series is a holistic understanding of spirituality. If you're trying to grow spiritually, but at the same time, you're abusing your body, you're not healthy. If you don't have margin in life, you're not eating right, you're not resting adequately, you're not getting exercise, all of these things affect our spirituality. And the Daniel plan, the purpose of the Daniel plan um, is to lose a few of those things that are holding us back, to shed some of that excess weight uh, that is not just the pounds we talk about, but it's also the spiritual things that are pulling us back and what we need to do to get back into shape spiritually, physically, emotionally. And so the Daniel series is going to be um, a time building up to the retreat. The retreat is in February, where we're going to do a little bit of psyching up. As I said, if you're going to make a change, if you're committing to, say, lose some weight, or if you're committing to exercise more or to eating better, you're going to say, okay, got to get ready for this. Got to get ready. Got to psych yourself up. From now until February, we'll be doing some of that psyching up. And at the retreat, we're going to kick off the actual fasting portion of the series, whether, uh, whatever that looks like for you. But we're going to start that at the retreat. I think it's going to be fun. And um, uh, until Easter Sunday, the series, uh, the, actual, uh, the actual fasting portion will carry up till Easter, and if you'd like, beyond as well. And so we're continuing this series, Daniel Plan, today. And today, I'm going to continue last week's talk, How to Make a Change. And so with New Year's, we're all making resolutions. We're all thinking about what can I do to make a change. We all oftentimes, uh, at this time of the year, want to make a change New year, new you, if you've ever heard that. And so that's what we're going to talk about today because we're psyching ourselves up to make a change. I'm psyching myself up to uh, do better in this area, to be physically fit, to, to get back into shape. I'm psyching myself up. And what I'm going to talk about today are four processes in internal change, four stages, four stages that we go through. Last Sunday, I only got through the first two. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to give you the answers a little bit in advance today. If you look in your notes, in your three hole punch notes, you'll see that. The four slots, there are four stages in internal change. And I talked about how the first stage is frustration. Let me just list these out for you. You can write them out. I noticed something interesting last Sunday. Um, I, I think the message really connected with a lot of people. A lot of people came up to me and said it really helped and one thing I noticed was people who usually don't take notes were taking notes. And that to me is a sign that this uh, desire for change is strong. So I'm going to give you the answers. The first stage 
is frustration. Frustration, and I'll come back to that. The second stage is infilling. Infilling. The third stage is formation. Formation. And the fourth stage is humanization or becoming human. Humanization. And so these are the four stages. And let me recap what I talked about last Sunday. The first stage is frustration. This whole experience of uh, wanting to do the right thing, but at the same time you have conflicted desires because you, have, uh, you also don't want to do the right thing. Now, I talked about how frustration as the first stage is a good thing. You think it's bad, I'm so evil, because I have these evil desires within me. I want uh, whatever my vice is. I have these evil desires, and last Sunday I used the analogy of the Twinkie as the ultimate evil, the ultimate sin. All I, all I crave are Twinkies. Well, frustration is a good sign because at least you have a conflicting desire within you. And the conflicting desire might be Twinkies are not good. 2018, New Year, New You. I want to get in better shape. I don't want to clog my arteries anymore with sugar. For me, I think that's one of the things I'm going to fast, sugar and salt. And we'll see how that goes. If, you, if you're wondering what the Daniel plan really is, the Daniel plan goes back to Daniel chapter 1, where... Uh, Daniel and his compadres are exiled in Babylon, and what happens is they are not, uh, according to their religion and their, their, their faith, they would not eat the choice foods of Babylon. They would not eat the food that was set before them. Instead, they said, King, let us just eat vegetables. Vegetables. I don't know if I can go that far, but let us just eat vegetables. And in the end, they were healthier, stronger, wiser than all of the other people of the land. That's what the Daniel plan is about. And for me, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if I can go that far, but I am going to try to uh, fast from sugars and salt, salts, unnecessary salty foods. We'll see how that goes. Because I have a conflicting desire within me. Because every time I eat something and it's, it's really, it's really, um, really bad because a couple of times this week I had English muffins and it was like, are you going to have some English muffin with your butter kind of thing? I mean, I, I poured on so much butter that I felt guilty about it. But there's a conflicting desire within me that says, if I continue to do that, I will have a heart attack. That it is not good. So there is that conflicting desire. If I continue to eat Twinkies or if I eat, continue to eat sweets, it's just not good for my health. I would like to live to a healthy old age. So the presence of conflicting desires within us is a sign that at least, at least we're not apathetic. And that's why frustration is not bad. We get down on ourselves and we're like, I have these bad desires, but frustration is not a bad thing. Frustration is the presence of conflicting desires within us. And what we find is I just need that little extra oomph, like a heart attack, to, to cause me. I mean, do we have to wait for a heart attack? Not necessarily. We can get on our knees and we can pray every morning, Ezekiel chapter 37, 
I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 to 27. And we can say these words, give me a new heart and put a new spirit within me. Now I'm personalizing what Ezekiel is saying here. God's speaking through Ezekiel. But give me a new heart, put a new spirit within me. Remove this heart of stone from my flesh. Remove this heart of stone. How many of you feel like you've gotten to the point where you are no longer really human? You don't feel. I was fortunate to get away for a day with a couple of friends who hold me accountable. These are guys who from all walks of life, I mean, I I can't get too, too much. We're kind of sworn to protect each other's confidentiality, but these are good men. And uh, all of us seeking holiness, purity, uprightness, all of us making our hearts more and more tender. And what's beautiful about that is when you see a, a guy who, who you, know can, you, you know has been around the block, you know has been around the block, and when you see him cry, when you see him cry because God has changed his life and he's able to love his wife deeper, And he's able to walk humbly before his God. And he's able to be faithful. That's such a beautiful thing. That's what happens when a heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh again. Men, I don't know if you're like me. I don't cry as easily. It's like I have to kind of push myself. And that's the fourth thing. That's about humanization. We'll come back to that. That's what the humanization piece But the thing is, I want to change, but I can't. And that's where verse 27 comes in, where God says to Israel, I know you guys are stubborn. I know you guys are not changing. This is how it's going to happen. I'm going to put my spirit, and I'm going to put it within you. And I'm going to cause you to observe and walk in my statutes. And you'll be careful to to keep my, my ordinances. I will cause you... That's what we need in frustration. In frustration, you can wait for a heart attack, or you can wait for bankruptcy, or you can wait to be caught in your behaviors, or you can wait to lose your marriage, or you can wait for some kind of major crisis. But don't wait for that. Get on your knees and pray these words from Ezekiel 36. Cause me... Give me that extra oomph that I need to want what I want because I'm stuck in this frustration stage, what psychologists call ambivalence. You know, I really should quit drinking, but I don't really want to. Or I really should quit smoking or making this change, I really don't want to. Well, cause me to get to this place where I finally want what I really want. Now, I, I must move on. That's the first Peace, frustration. And friends, again, if you feel like you're in this just frustrated state, these conflicting desires, it's a good thing. Be encouraged. Why is it a good thing? Because at least you have conflicting desires. You're not Homer Simpson. (laughs) Just, you know, the the, the donut is there, and there is no conflict within. He's going to eat the donut, and there's just apathy about it. Frustration is a good sign. It's the first stage. And then, 
when God causes you to change or desire change, the question is, how does that happen? How does God cause us? Does He wave His magic wand and say, Wingardium Leviosa, or, you know, something like that? Does He just change your mind? Or does God um, brainwash you? Does God get you hot and heated up? I just need a little more Jesus. And does He get you? What does He do? The answer is in verse 27. If you look, maybe you can find it. He says, I will cause you. But what does He say before causing us? I'm going to put my spirit within you. And when I put my spirit, the Holy Spirit within you, you will be caused, your volition, your desires, internally things will start to change. The things that I wanted yesterday are going to be eclipsed by better things today. I promise you this, if you have a bad desire, a bad habit, it will never go away. If you're asking and waiting for God to zap you and take away that desire, it will never go away. I have a friend or two or three who are seasoned and recovering alcoholics for decades, decades. They still, from time to time, have the thought, it would be nice to have a drink. The desire will never go away, but it will be eclipsed. That's how it works. Bad desires don't go away. And if you're waiting for God to zap you and take away your bad desires, it doesn't work. What happens instead is when the Holy Spirit fills us, bad desires are eclipsed by greater desires. Just like the moon passing in front of the sun and for a moment the moon is bigger than the sun. And you say, no, I don't want Twinkies or potato chips anymore. I actually like eating things that are not so salty. I actually like living. I like the feeling of being clean. I like being sober. And so the Holy Spirit fills us. And that's the second stage, infilling. Infilling, and I talked about how this infilling happens how does, okay, pastor, I want to change. I am frustrated with this part of my life. I'm frustrated with this behavior. Uh, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that He will cause me to want what I want. In fact, He will cause me to have greater desires and therefore to change. So, you ready? I'm going to pour out the Spirit on you now. How does this happen? How does the Spirit fill? Five sub-steps. I know this gets complicated. In stage two, five processes in how the Holy Spirit fills us. And the thing is, the Holy Spirit moves when the Holy Spirit moves. It's God. You cannot control God. Oh, I wish the Holy Spirit would come today like He did yesterday. The Holy Spirit will come, but not under our control or our influence. But there are things that we can do to prepare ourselves and make ourselves more open, more ready to receive, things that we can do to be in a better posture to receive and to make it, make it more conducive for the Holy Spirit to come. These are the five things. The first thing is preparatory humbling. And by that, I do not mean I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to humble myself. 
I promise you that does not work. Nobody is more self-conscious than a person who's trying to humble themselves. And humility is all about the self. You don't have to humble yourself. Life can sufficiently do that for you. I think we're the big crowd here today. Um, it's, it's neat. I went behind the wall and I got to see the youth group is filled today. The youth group is full. So all of our younger people who don't suffer as much as grown-ups typically do. Young people suffer, don't get me wrong. They go through terrible things. But as life goes, those of us that are above the age of 18 tend to know what pain feels like. And in fact, the older we get, somebody told me this once, and it's so true, the older I get, the harder life gets. You don't need to humble yourself. You don't need to humble yourself. Life sufficiently does that for you. But the thing is, use it. Use it. There's nothing worse than sitting down and listening to somebody for the 25th time tell you how much they hate their job. For the first time, you were an empathetic listener. For the second time, you were compassionate. For the third time, you just got sick and tired of it. All you're doing is just bitching and complaining. When are you going to use the pain? There's nothing like somebody for the 25th time that's going to complain about their wife or their husband or for the 25th time or the 2,000th time going to complain about their life circumstance or about their financial situation. Use the humbling. Use it. If we do not use the humbling, then basically what happens is it becomes God's fault. God keeps humbling me. Why does this keep happening to me? Or we become nihilists and we say, I'm just destined to suffer. And if I'm just destined to suffer, then there is no God. There's just randomness. It is, this way lies madness indeed. When we face suffering, there is space for lament. But then we must get through to saying, God, I don't like this. This is terrible, but I'm going to accept this cutting board that you've given me. If you remember that analogy, I've told you about that. That's been my own journey. To learn to accept and to learn to say, I hate this, but I'm going to use it. That's the first step, using it. And when we are sufficiently humbled, the Holy Spirit takes notice and says, this person is ready for an infilling. And that's the second you know, I guess you can call it stage 2B. Gospel truth penetrating. Gospel truth penetrating. When you are humbled and you've no longer, and you've stopped pointing your finger at somebody else or at God, and you're saying, okay, something's happening here. I have to learn from it. You open yourself up to the gospel penetration. And I used this analogy last Sunday of the bougainvillea plant. And if you could pull that image up, I found the perfect image that I'd like to show you. The bougainvillea plant is this very frustrating thing I've been trying to grow for three years. If you give it plenty of sun and fertilizer and plenty of water, in other words, a life of ease and comfort, the only thing a bougainvillea will give you is lots of leaves, Lots of vines, lots of greenery, and tons of thorns. Thorns. 
I saw pictures online of people trying to get into their gigantic bougainvillea and they're pierced, like bleeding, like Jesus. It would make a great crown of thorns if I can say such a thing. So the bougainvillea, if you give it everything it wants and give it a life of comfort and plenty of water, it produces thorns. And what are thorns for a plant? Thorns are things that reject here comes a cute little hummingbird that wants to, and it's dead. It's pierced on a thorn. Or here are people that want to, like, smell it or something, and it's like, get away. And how much in ease and comfort do we develop these thorns and prickliness where we either say, get away, or come near, I need you, I need you. We become Venus flytraps. We're like in this, oh, and we suck people in. Thorns is a result of a life of ease. Unfortunately, we get very comfortable and it enhances our defects of character because there's nothing pushing you. There's nothing challenging you. There's nothing provoking you. There's no one to speak into your life and say, I'm tired of hearing you complain. What are the next steps? And what's beautiful about this analogy is if you say, I am sick and tired of giving water to this thing, it does nothing, and I'm going to leave it alone to die. And you walk away from the bougainvillea plant, and you don't water it anymore throughout summer. You know what happens? Those thorns, those thorns begin to open up and become blossoms. And if you've seen a bougainvillea tree, bush, sometimes these will cover entire sides of houses or buildings. They're beautiful when they blossom, showy blossoms that cover the entire side of buildings when under a little bit of duress, the thorn opens up. Suffering is meant to open you up. It's meant to open you up and change you from a thorn to a blossom. And just scientifically, let me say this really quick, why does the bougainvillea do that? The bougainvillea thinks there's no more water at all, it's too hot. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Doesn't suffering feel like that? God, if you don't do something right now, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And what the bougainvillea bush says, I'm going to die. It's time to propagate myself and open up my blossoms and let the, honeybee, the honeybees and the birds finally come in and get the pollen and, and, and the, the nectar and so on and so forth. It wants to propagate because it thinks it's going to die. And that's how life is. We say this suffering, this preparatory humbling, I hate it. I'm going to die, but I'm finally open. I'm finally open, and the gospel can finally penetrate. Okay, 2C. Third step in this infilling process of the Holy Spirit is belief and repentance. And what happens is now that the gospel truth penetrates, I can hear the gospel because I'm in a bad place <clears throat> I'm opening up finally, and I'm hearing the gospel for the first time. I know what this is like. I've heard a thousand messages, but it took a little bit of suffering in my life for me finally to say, oh my God, I get it. I know what you're trying to say to me. And we hear the gospel message, and then we repent. We repent. Now, do me a favor. You're taking notes. If you have a pen, draw an arrow from 2.3, 2.3, back to 1, back to 
I hope I'm not confusing you. In other words, draw an arrow back from belief and repentance back to preparatory humbling. Draw an arrow back. Why? Because what happens is, if you've gone through the experience of suffering, and then secondly, the gospel is penetrating into your life, and third, you believe. You believe. There's a lot of suffering Christians out there, but we don't get to the point where we turn around and we make a change. I mean, guys, in 2018, we need to make a change, and you know what you need to make a change in. But if you refuse to make a change, essentially what we do is we repeat this cycle all over again back to one. We cannot move to four and five. And the Spirit wants to infill, the Spirit wants to come in, but it can't because we're not willing to change. We're not willing to repent. We're not willing to go move along with the Spirit. And we have to go back to this place where we have to suffer more in order to be opened again, in order to believe again. So we could repeat that cycle or we could move on from belief and repentance 2.4 is changed attitudes and desires. And what we see is our desires begin to change that now that we're actually repenting, now that instead of eating Twinkies, we've decided to avoid the snack aisle altogether. You say, Pastor, um, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling. I watch too much ESPN. Well, I need to make a change, okay? What are you going to do? I'm just gonna, I, 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 I want to stop watching ESPN. Why don't you disconnect the cable if you really want to make a change? Unplug the television for a season. What does a change really entail? Oftentimes we know the problem, but we don't think through enough. What does repentance entail? When Jesus saw the Pharisees coming to the waters to get baptized, I'm sorry, not Jesus, John the Baptist, what did he say? You brood of vipers, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It makes no sense to say I want to go on a diet and yet my pantry is stocked filled, fill, full with all kinds of foods that are unhealthy. There needs to be actual steps. And anyway, by step by this uh, 2.4, by this fourth part, our attitudes and our desires begin to change. Why? Because we're willing participants in it. We're willing participants. Being willing participants, we experience our attitudes and de desires are changed. And fifth, our sanctifying proofs sanctifying proofs that basically show the world it's not you that's going to go up and say, eh? I'm changed. What do you think? New and improved Wayne 2.0, 2018. Well, what do you think? Do you like what you see? That's not how it works. Sanctifying proofs, proofs by virtue of a proof means you need an external observer. An external observer who can empirically observe the change within you. When somebody says you are not the same, there's something different about you, it's real. The Holy Spirit is real. Why do I believe in God? Why do I believe in the Holy Spirit? Why do I believe in revival? Because that was my experience. Even my mother told me at one point, you're different. That was 20 years ago. 
I still have to go through this process. Somebody else will tell you. Sanctifying proofs means somebody else will tell you. Okay, finally, we can move on now. So, God puts His Spirit within us. We are basically no longer thorny, but we are open. We repent. We, 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 make ourselves, we, we finally decide to do something different with our lives, something seriously different. And as we make something different with our lives, these, we have these attitudes that change and other people are proving to us, they're telling us it's, it's true. But you can't stay there. You cannot stay there. Change requires feeding. Now, here's the thing about the bougainvillea plant. I've tried that. I read this somewhere. They said, treat your bougainvillea lean and mean. and Don't feed it too much water and it'll give you all the blossoms you want. And so I starved my bougainvillea without any water for like the entire season. It didn't give me the blossoms. And then I forgot to listen to the second part of that YouTube video. It says, you got to give it fertilizer. And I was like, oh, yeah, duh. Formation is about fertilizer. Formation is about fertilizer. You see, what Ezekiel says, or what God says through Ezekiel to Israel in verse 26. What does verse 26 say? I'm going to give you a new heart. And I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. We have a couple of doctors here. You've probably never done open hearts. Actually, have you ever done open heart surgery, Doc? I mean, this is open heart surgery. I'm going to work on your heart and give you a new heart. And how does a new heart change? How does a heart change? It's formation. It's formation. It's this process of replacing an old heart. A cold heart, the heart that makes you stone cold when you see something completely moving and you, you can't shed a tear. You can't cry. I can't cry. Why? Because you're dead. Or you see somebody suffering and you no longer feel empathy. You no longer feel compassion. Why? Because you're dead. You're not human anymore. And this process of resuscitation and gaining a new heart and a new spirit, this is the process of formation. It's the fertilizer. It's the fertilizer. I want to teach here just a little bit more. And I think you'll find this interesting because you still have a couple of you have a couple of sets of blanks there in your notes. When you talk about formation, essentially what you're talking about is this process of discipleship. As changed Christians, we need to continually be in a posture where we are learning. Our attitudes have to be changed. Our understanding has to be changed. In fact, this is how we are changed. This is how we are formed. And um, if you can pull that first set up, that first set. I'm going to use the theological words. I know I, I, I try not to use... Um, you know, I, I try to make this accessible for everybody, but the, the thing is the theological terms carry a lot of power. So, in the first left-hand column, you have cognition. Cognition basically is the mind. In other words, thinking. 
Cognition informs volition, which is the will, which is empowered by affections, which is your passion and your emotions. In other words, this is the proper way. This is what it means to be a human being. You know what's right. The right choices in your mind informs your will or the right attitudes, the right understanding, the right belief informs our choices, our will, and in the end, you're able to do the right thing passionately. You're able to do the right thing with feeling because you know this is right. Example, I was walking down, um, I, think every, I know everybody here well enough, I was walking down the beer aisle a couple of weeks ago, and they have this thing at the end at Kroger, it's the mix and match, it's the six, it's the six, uh, you know, it's, it's make your own, make your own six pack. And so I got the cardboard box and I, I opened it and I was preparing to make my selection until I looked at it and I was like, I don't like the selection. It's being a bit of a snob, and I was like, I don't like these. I don't like these beers that they have here. It, would it be a big deal if I just walked over to the premium beer selection aisle and just kind of like selected the ones I really wanted and just slipped them in, and nobody noticed, and then just paid for it because they don't run them beer by beer. They run them by the barcode on the bottom of the six-pack. And what would it be like if your pastor did that? Because I said... My affections say I want the good stuff. I want that. And then what happens is my affections control my volition. You see, this is the, this is the rest of the fill in the blank. If you can just pull them all up. This is, the way we, this is the way we work. My affections say, that's what I really want right now. I want that. Affections control volition because I'm so overpowered. I'm overpowered because I want the good stuff and my will is going to listen to what my stomach wants. My stomach wants that and so it controls my will and what happens in the end? I rationalize it with my mind. It's not a big deal. Cognition is trailing at the end of this arrangement. Do you know what this feels like? I know exactly what this feels like. It's just a little sin. It's just something that's not going to hurt anybody. It never hurt anybody. It's a private behavior. And it's what I need. It's what I want right now. And I cannot control my will because my appetites, and that's essentially what happens. When your heart turns to stone, all you are is a walking stomach. You're a zombie. Now try convincing a zombie. Hey, Mr. Zombie, come over here. Let's, let's, brains, it's all brains, it's just appetites controlling everything. No, you really, shame on you, zombie, you shouldn't eat brains. Brains, because his will is, his stomach is controlling his will. And then a smart zombie will say, well, really, you know, it really is not a big deal, because it is the zombie apocalypse, and I want to turn you just into me, so eating brains is not really a big deal. He rationalizes it. We are the walking dead. Well, we were formerly the walking dead. That's what Paul says. When Paul in Ephesians speaks to us, to you, the church, and he says, you were formerly zombies. That's, I think, an accurate, not translation, but it captures the sentiment. 
you were formerly zombies pursuing the objects of our lust and our desires and our appetites. Walking stomachs, it was the walking dead. In real life, brains, that's all we want, brains. Affections, passions, appetites, controlling volition and the will. And in the end, really just rationalized because we're all, of course, well-heeled, intellectual, intelligent zombies. But something happens when we are in the process of formation and when we're in the process of repentance and all of these things, we get our wills back and we're able to think again. You know what I did in the beer aisle that day? The inner monologue went on and I said, I could just do that. But then what went through my mind is, but that would be a breach of all I hold dear and true. That would be lying. That would be stealing, and I believe that I should not lie and steal. And really, I can live with second-rate beer. And so that day, cognition, my mind, my understanding of what's right and wrong led the process, my will followed my mind, and I was able to just choose from what they had there. And in the end, I felt good about it because my affections followed. When you're doing something right and you know it, you can stand on it, you can die for it. That is when you know you have a free will. That is when you know your free will has returned to you. That is when you know the Holy Spirit is within you because you say, this I know to be true and I will stand, my will will stand on this and with all of my passion and affections, I will defend this because it is the right thing to, to do and the right way to live my life. This, friends, this, friends, is Holy Spirit revival. It's when you know in your mind that this is the good and I'm free and I'm no longer chained to my zombie affections. In fact, I've been freed from my passions and my appetites and I can now think with my mind. I can make clear-headed choices. I can choose the good and I can stand on that with my will and in the end I can be passionate about that because I know this is the right thing and you feel good about it and passionate and that's when the Holy Spirit that's when you know the Spirit is strong in this one. <coughs> Pardon me. Probably just scared somebody listening to the podcast. Really, really. <laughs> Here's the problem. How many of you relate more to the second half? My affections just control my willpower. I have no will when it comes to my appetites. And in the end, I rationalize it. We have to return back to this place of humbling and repentance. I'm going to say something. You might even want to jot it down. You cannot repair sick thinking with sick thinking. We cannot repair sick thinking with sick thinking. I'm going to think my way through this one. I don't want brains today. It's just... <laughs> I'm going to... Zombie, I'm gonna, I really don't want brains today. You can't repair sick thinking with sick thinking. Either you are a zombie or you are not. And only God resurrects dead people. 
One more cough coming. <coughs> you can't repair sick thinking with sick thinking. <clears throat> if you are ready to make a change, if you are ready to really disconnect the cable TV or stop going down that aisle, or if you're ready to <clears throat> disclose that you've cheated on your taxes, that's repentance. That's good suffering. When you tell the truth, and I walk closely with men in this area, you, sometimes you cannot find holiness without going through some additional suffering. You might have to confess to somebody that you're really struggling in a certain area. You might have to tell the wife, yeah, you know, I've been staying up late watching some things I shouldn't have been. Or you might have to tell the IRS, I wasn't totally honest on this. And what's going to happen? You're going to suffer. But here's the difference. This second kind of suffering you know is pure. It's good. And it's going to hurt. And you're just going to have to get through it. But it's better than the first kind of suffering. And if you're going to have to sleep in the doghouse, or if you're going to have to pay back taxes, or if you're going to have to stop cheating on the, on the beer aisle, it's going to stink for a while. It's really going to suck. But it's good suffering. It's good suffering because in the end, you will reap the reward. And, oh dear, I have so many stories here, but I really must refrain. Formation is this process. Formation is this process where we've not only repented, decided to make a change, but our mind, our behaviors, we're learning new ways to live. Our mind, we have our mind back. And when you have your mind back, study of Scripture, fellowship, all of these things, discipleship, formation of your life, this, you're on the road, you're on the road to real solid change. It's the fertilizer if we're not fertilized, you can listen to all the preaching you want. Believe me, I mean it. You can listen to all the preaching you want. It will not have an effect. It will not have an effect. <clears throat> the last step is humanization. You're a little worried here because you're saying, Pastor Wayne wants us to go, what really wants us to make some really radical choices in our lives, you know, I'm hearing a message that's really convicting me. But in the end, I don't want to become one of those Jesus fanatics. I don't want to come through and say, I did it. You can do it too. And you're going you're gonna to get all hot for Jesus and you're going to become uh, some kind of crusader or something. I don't want to become one of those freaks. And we have this image in our mind that if we go through this process of basically giving your life to God, Surrendering and letting Him completely, unreservedly take over. That if I do that, if I unreservedly give Him that last 99.1, you know, that last 0.1% that I'm holding out, then I'm going to become some kind of, I'm, I'm going to have to go to Africa or something and become a missionary. That I'm going to have to, in the end, give my all. Friends, well, I don't know about that missionary part. That could happen. But I do want to say,
that when God humanizes us, He doesn't just make us religious fanatics. He says in verse 26, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'm going to give you a human heart. In other words, don't worry about becoming a fanatic. Don't, become, don't worry about becoming some kind of religious wacko. You're going to be more human than you ever were. I will remove the heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. In other words, you're going to be you. You're going to be free to be you again. Let alone religious, religiosity and, and all that business. You are going to be you again. You're going to have your free will again. You're going, to have a, you're going to be able to make a choice again. You're going to be human. You're going to find that your heart is moved. You're able to cry again. The heart that was so hard is soft. You're back. You're human. So friends, in, in conclusion, these four processes of change, these four stages of change, what are we talking about here? We're talking about revival. We're talking about the Spirit of God coming. In 2018, I've been seeking God earnestly on my knees, regularly, praying prayers I haven't prayed since I was a younger man. And it's good. I, I hope that God will keep me back on my knees for the rest of my life. I want to be sensitive to the Spirit. I cannot change a single one of you with my preaching. I know that for a fact. But the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can change. I can only tell you that if you don't prepare yourself to make a change, then we could just as well repeat those cycles again and again and again. Let's pray. I invite you to respond in prayer. I have a time of devotion now. If there's something you're holding on to, no, not that. God, don't touch that. That's my secret stash, God. That's my stash. And you know it's wrong. And say, God, what? okay, all right. I hear the message. I'm convicted. What, what, what must be done? What, what serious steps do I have to take in 2018 for the sake of my own life? For the sake of my own life, what are the serious Radical steps I need to take in 2018 or else I will end up with a heart attack. And so I invite you at this time to have devotion and to respond in quiet prayer. And if you're comfortable with it, pray, pray. Pray for change. Pray for 2018 to be your best year yet. Pray for the Spirit to come. Pray for our church. But let's do that at this time. And let's entreat the Holy Spirit.
not in desperate just kind of groanings but if 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 that if if that will if that's what it is and so be it that you would in 2018 give us a newer freedom a greater freedom than we've ever had before I pray that suffering would be meaningful instead of meaningless help us Lord to see your hand on it all move us Lord beyond complaining and doubt to a destiny that we cannot we we did not even realize yet beyond ourselves I pray Bring us to the place, Lord, of conviction. Bring us to the place, Lord, where change will mean a lot more than just a private confession to you. Help us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Show us the action steps, Lord. And Lord, as lives change, show us the pleasure of having our wills back and control of our lives once again. Show us, Lord, the joy of being able to not be controlled by our appetites. Show us, Lord, that once again we can cry and be moved. That once again we can be human. That once again we can feel. That once again our hearts will beat pure life. We confess that, Lord, our hearts are stone cold we are not empathetic, that we are not considerate, that we don't, we don't, we don't bleed, we don't cry, we're, we're, we're just victims of our appetites, but Lord, we know that you resurrect dead people, we surrender, we know we cannot repair sick thinking with sick thinking anymore, so Lord, do it, do it Lord, do what you must, we surrender ourselves to the process, we bring about revival in the process, we pray, we bring about revival. I'm just going to list out a couple of things as your eyes are continually closed just a little bit longer, please, friends. I know, we're in church today. (laughs) 
not going to ask you to respond, but I am going to list out things just come straight from the New Testament, things that maybe we could repent of, things that maybe we could make a change from. Drunkenness. Dissipation. Gluttony. Lust. Cheating. Lying. Stealing. Pornography. Violence. Fits of anger. Deep, deep resentment. Hatred. only a few be free from those things friends be free from them be free from them in Jesus name Amen this has been a Woven Church podcast Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.